This morning's reading is taken from page 573, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from, from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in, the secret, in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You, are the, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered to, on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's uh, the final part of our uh, story of David, King David. We've been uh, looking at King David since September. That was a long time ago, and now we're in December. And King David, it's just been a brilliant series, I think, to to just highlight all of those episodes in King David's lives, life. And this morning we're at this particular story, a story that perhaps we know well, of David and Bathsheba. A story that could be perhaps the worst moment of David's life, as, of his career as a king, but it's a story that teaches us lots that's important about forgiveness, about who we are, and about who God is. Did you know that in medieval times, there was a way to get out of trouble if you found yourself in having done something naughty, having been caught. Because back in those days, in the early medieval period, the church had a lot of power in the land. And so there were two courts. There was the law of the king, the court of the king, and the law of the church and the court of the church. So if you were arrested by the king's men for stealing some candles you could appeal to the judge to say that you belong to the church and you wanted to be tried by the church. And it was thought that in those days the church would be more lenient and gentle 
than the king's court. So you had this possibility of appealing to be tried by the church. But there had to be a way of determining who belonged to the church and who didn't. Who was a priest or a monk or a nun or a bishop? How did you tell who were the ordinary people and who were the people who belonged to the church? And the way that they decided that you would tell between those who belonged to God and those who belonged to the world was whether they knew these first verses of Psalm 51 off by heart. It was a system that would work all the way across Europe because everybody spoke Latin, everybody knew Latin, the judges would know Latin, so you could appeal to the judge by saying, have mercy on me, O God. Let's bring up that slide. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You'll see that I wouldn't have been able to get off because I had to read the words, but if you knew them by heart, you would be able to get transferred from the jail where the king kept you to some monastery where you would wait trial before the church. Knowing these words made a big difference to the judgment that you received. And we shouldn't underestimate these words because if you know these words today in your heart, there is a transference from one court of judgment to another, from the judgment that you'll receive. This is a psalm of penitence, a psalm of repentance. And it was written, as it says in our Bibles, in small print under Psalm 51, it was written by King David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. If you look at page 573, it's written there in small print. And today, as we end this series on David, we come to this episode in his life. It shows that the Bible is not a book about myths and heroes. It's about human life in all its raw reality. It's absolutely re realistic in its portrayal of human existence. It gives us all hope because we know that we all mess up. We've learned a lot about King David this term. And today, this story shows us that even he, the great king that he was, messed up and needed forgiveness. Even he knew that he couldn't save himself. And as we come to Christmas this year, we need to know that we cannot save ourselves and that the Saviour who's born at Christmas is the only way for us to find forgiveness. So Psalm, uh, so Psalm 51 reflects all that happens in the book of 2 Samuel in chapters 11 and 12, and that's on page 314 if you want to look it up in the church Bibles. You might want to read this whole story in all its gory details after the service. But what happens, in summary, is that we have a tale of lust and lies that lead to death. It shows someone making one bad decision that leads on to other bad decisions. It shows the descent of a good person down into deeper and deeper wrongdoing. And it starts, it says, with King David on the roof of his palace when he should really have been out leading his army. 
Do you remember, that's why Israel wanted a king right back in the beginning when they confronted Samuel. We need a king to lead us into battle. And the army are out fighting battles, but David is in the palace. And it says that he gets up from his bed in the evening. So he can't have been doing that much that day, can he, if he's getting up from bed in the evening. He's having a bit of rest and relaxation, and perhaps he needed it. But he's not in the right place. He's on the roof, and from the roof, he sees a beautiful woman bathing. She is the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who's a mercenary in David's army, someone who's fought with David for years and years. David finds out who this beautiful woman is, and that he finds out that her husband is away fighting. So David invites her around, and they have a sleepover. The result of this one-night stand is that Bathsheba realizes she is pregnant. So something must be done. At this point, David cannot admit his indiscretion, so he tries to hide it. David recalls Uriah back home from the battlefront, and he welcomes him and he tells him to go home and sleep with his wife because that might just cover over what David has done. But Uriah refuses to sleep with his wife when the commanders and the men are out uh, on the battle line. So he doesn't go home and sleep with his wife. So David has to go to a next level and he sends Uriah back carrying a letter, a sealed letter. And the letter is to Joab, the general of the Israeli forces in this battle. And the letter says, Joab, put Uriah at the very center of the fighting, at the front of the fighting and then draw back from him so that he will be killed. David arranges Uriah's murder. Do you see how he made one wrong turning and then he doesn't go back, he keeps going down the wrong road deeper and deeper and deeper into wrongdoing. So Uriah is killed and after a period of mourning, Bathsheba is free to marry David and she bore him a son. And the passage says... But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Yes, it displeased the Lord. I think the Lord would have been really upset with David. I think this is a massive understatement because the people who wrote this passage see David as a great king and a hero. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. But we must remember that all that we do is seen by God. While we can make God smile, we can also disappoint him by doing the wrong things. God has made David the king, and yet David turns away from God's law and his word. God has protected David and watched over him, blessed him with glorious victories. Now David has his own city and his own palace, yet instead of being grateful, David does this dreadful thing. In this one incident, David breaks five of God's ten commandments. He starts by being jealous of his neighbor's wife. He goes on to commit adultery. He lies to Uriah. He commits murder. And then he steals Uriah's wife. It's the countdown of commandments ten to five. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. 
What David did displeased the Lord. That's the biggest understatement probably you'll hear today. But even the most powerful have to answer for their actions. And God would not let this matter rest. With great power, there must also come great responsibility. Spider-Man says that in the Marvel films. We're left to imagine how the intervening months went between David's killing of Uriah and this confrontation that's the next part of the story. Was David sullen and depressed? Was there quiet in the palace as, as Bathsheba arrives and the whispers and the gossip go around about how Uriah was killed? Did David think that he completely got away with it and nobody knew what he'd done? We don't know exactly what happens, but then comes the moment when Nathan, the prophet, comes to David. And Nathan is the person who told David that he wouldn't be able to build the temple for God. Do you remember in that part of this story, this uh, life of David? Nathan is the person that David trusts to bring him God's word, to tell him the truth. And it's very difficult to speak truth to power, isn't it? To challenge a person who's a respected leader. But Nathan comes to David and he tells him a story of injustice. Nathan says... This is the story of two men in a certain town. One rich man had a very large number of sheep. He was very wealthy. But there was a poor man in that town as well. He had just one ewe lamb that he'd raised by hand. And a traveler comes to the town to stay with the rich man. And instead of the rich man slaughtering one of his own sheep, giving one of his own sheep to feed the traveler, he takes the one ewe lamb that the poor man has. He takes it and he kills it and he gives that as the meal for the traveler. And it says, David burned with anger and said to Nathan, surely this man must die because he has no pity. And the words hang in the air. And then Nathan says to him, David, you are the man. Because this is exactly how you treated Uriah. This is exactly what you did to that man. God reminds David of all that he's given him through Nathan. He says that he would have given him even more. But now because of this terrible act, there would be consequences his own reign will end in chaos and the son born to Bathsheba will die. And it's at this time that David writes Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David is the greatest king of Israel. And yet even he is desperate for God's mercy and grace. He calls upon his maker for help. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation 
and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David longs for a pure heart because he knows it's from the heart that these desires that got him into so much trouble arose. He longs for a pure heart, a heart that is turned towards God. Despite all of his failings, he's still focused on his relationship with God. David knows that he's let God down. You alone, against you alone have I sinned, he says. This is a psalm of lament, written just like that psalm after Saul and Jonathan died. Do you remember that one? It's sung to remind everybody that no matter who we are, we are all prone to get stuff wrong. Someone's called it the human propensity to mess things up. The human propensity to mess things up. We all mess things up, don't we? In each and every day. David is no longer hiding anything. He opens up his soul. He says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. My sacrifice is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. David knows God, and he knows that even now there is a way back by repentance and confession through God's mercy and grace. I often hear that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament, that Jesus is much more gentle and compassionate than the God of the Old Testament. And there is, there is some difference, isn't there, that as people develop, remember that it was right back in the Bronze Age and the Stone Age that the Old Testament starts. There is a development of our relationship with God, but God stays the same. And here in the Old Testament is someone who doesn't get what they deserve. Remember the rich man who took the poor man's sheep. He deserved to die. David took Uriah's wife. He deserved to die. But David comes in confession and repentance. And there are consequences. But David also finds forgiveness. As we confess our sin, we find forgiveness. The first step is to see that we need to make that move. And then you need to know the God to whom you are going to find forgiveness, from whom forgiveness flows. David knew God and knew the God of his people Israel. We know God in a new way, a special way, because we have Jesus born amongst us at Christmas to pay the price for our wrongdoing, to be that gift of grace that none of us deserve. For now we are clothed with the righteousness that only he can bring. This is the truth that the world sometimes hides. That we have all messed up. We have all sinned in what we've done or the things that we've left undone. We are all in need of forgiveness. And we should all echo the words that David says. Have mercy on me, O God. These words change us. And the judgment that we'll experience. Have mercy on me, O God. For Jesus came with the power to set us free from sin and death. We were all made in the image of God. With the capacity to love and to hate, to do good or evil. But this world tells us, and the evil one who battles to control it, tells us 
that we can make all the choices we want to without there being any consequences. We can take from the world as much as we want and not give anything back. That's the message that the world wants us to hear. We're free to do what we want, whenever we want, to live as ourselves. And what's that doing to the world around us? It's creating individualistic selfishness so that everybody just gets what they want. In effect, we're in the world seen as kings and queens of our whole world. We can decide what happens in our own little kingdom. You choose who you are and what you do. When we post our best selves on social media, did you know that you are five times more likely to be killed taking a selfie than to be killed by a shark? <laughs> That's a fact to take away. Now, I know there's not a lot of sharks around here, so we're not very likely to be killed by sharks in this country, but... Five times the number of people die each year taking selfies, stepping back over a cliff or stepping out into the road as a bus is coming. Five times more people die from selfies than are killed by sharks each year. That's not what David is doing in this psalm, is he? He's not presenting his best self to the world. He's not trying to take the perfect picture of the perfect king. He's owning up to what he's done and he's coming to God for forgiveness. Our faith says that Jesus was sent into the world to set us free so that we can find forgiveness. We can find a new way of living. We no longer have to be king or queen of our world because Jesus is Lord. And that takes all the burden and the pressure off of us because we know that God's in charge. He has the best plans for us and for our lives. And in him, when we mess up, we have somewhere to go. When you mess up and you have nowhere to go, people end up in desperate places. We have somewhere to go to find forgiveness because Jesus is Lord. Even David, King David, an actual king, knew that he was accountable to God and that he could not save himself. That's beyond any of us. So David says, have mercy on me, O God. We need to show the difference that this forgiveness makes in our lives to those around us. As we accept that we're all messed up, we all make mistakes, we all get things wrong. We need also to be able to point people to the source of this forgiveness, to the one who came to be born amongst us, who was fully God and fully man the Word made flesh, the Lamb of God. That's why I'd say, come along and do some carol singing next Saturday at 11 o'clock down by the post box in the precinct. Come along and sing some carols to all those who are searching in the shopping that they're doing just before Christmas for something that will make them feel good. Sing the songs, the carols that remind where the light shines from in this world. Who is the light of the world? Bring people along to the carols in the evening at seven o'clock that they might sing the carols and be part of this, make sense of what Christmas is. That's why we need to invite people along to the Alpha course that starts on the 10th of January so that people can find this Jesus who sets us free from sin and death. 
in whom we have forgiveness for all of our sins. This story of David's failure is the story of all of us, isn't it? God has given us so much. God has given us everything in this world, our life and our breath and everything. And yet we turn away from him and do things wrong. We will all face judgment and we need to know from where our forgiveness flows. We need to know where to find forgiveness. We need to know the right words to say. We need to have a heart that is turned towards God. So let's make sure that as we meet people this Christmas, we help them to meet Jesus. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who is the way to forgiveness. He is the truth through whom we will be set free. And he is the life, the light that brings life to all humanity That's who Jesus is. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. None of us can save ourselves. That's why we need a saviour. That's why God sent Jesus into the world. Let's celebrate that this Christmas. Make that the centre of all that we do. Would you please stand and we're going to pray. Pray for all of us at this time. Lord, help us to live in the light of your love. Help us to see clearly the areas of our lives where we need your forgiveness. And give us, Lord, the strength to come to you and to say, have mercy on me, O Lord. May the grace that flows through your forgiveness flow through us as channels of your freedom, that we might share your good news with those around us. And Lord, we ask in this dark and broken world that your forgiveness would change the course of wars and conflicts and bring peace to unexpected places and people this Christmas. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.